Hi folks, you should know that this podcast is recorded in a house with animals and the occasional teenager, but all the chickens are asleep, so if there are interruptions from dogs or cats, that just sort of happens, but there will not be interruptions from chickens, or as far as I know, teenagers, because they're not here. It is also time to point out that we are grown-ups who use grown-up language, and while we will not be talking in theory, about anything particularly explicit. It's been known to happen. It has been known to happen, uh, and we swear a lot. So we have to mark it explicit in iTunes because they don't support anything but squeaky clean or dirty. So there we go. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 40. Good heavens. The big 4-0. You must be proud of yourself. I'm reasonably happy with it. I mean, we have a couple of podcasts that are significantly more episodes than this, but I'm actually really happy with the ability to to keep this one going and, and move forward. And it's helped me in terms of keeping like myself accountable for my own getting things done and given me excuses to go out and try new things. And I always like excuses to go out and try new things. Absolutely. And the other thing this week is I was supposed to have an interview with Jim C. Hines, but between his schedule and my schedule, it's going to be a couple weeks before we can re-record it. That's okay. I have our friend Michelle from Boston, the person who's your guest liaison at Aresia. Oh, yeah. Who is a... Um, social worker and therapist in private practice. And she has some really fascinating things to see. It's a really long interview, but oh, so worth it. And I don't think we even covered everything except the six questions. And there's a lot more stuff she wants to discuss. We'll be having her back. Excellent. Absolutely be having her back. So there's that. And Jim has a deadline coming up. And you know how it is with deadlines. Oh, yes. So we're, we're, we're working around his schedule now, but that's fine. We'll still have... I've got other interviews coming up to, uh, to make you happy. And I'm talking to you, the listener, not, not you, Ursula, the Wombat Test Subject. Nothing makes me happy. I beg to differ. Okay, you're right. Lots of things make me happy. The, the garden will make you happy tomorrow. Well, the garden you know, mm-hmm. make me exasperated, but right. yes, but ferociously happy. Right. So it's really started to sink in that I have to add a new organizational thing to my ongoing task list. This is for the con? This is for the con. So I'm hosting the door size private Relaxicon next year in Raleigh. And so I have all of the stuff involved with that. Budgeting, hotel, con suite, getting caterers, making sure that we have enough rooms in the room block. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. And I'm reminded of, of what you said at one point. Friends don't let friends run conventions. That's the one. And also that I had sucker written across my forehead. And I told you not to do it. You told me not to do it, but I couldn't... Our our friend Carol Gobayan was like, so hey, I'd really like to have one in Raleigh, and no one's volunteered to do one for 2019. And do you know how hard it is to say no to Carol? I could do it if it was about running a con. Okay, well... I'd laugh 
as I said it, I'd be yeah. like, you're right, they haven't. You should get on somebody about that. And you know where they'd, they'd go. They'd go to me. Had I been there, yeah, I would have kiboshed it I easily. Know. I would yes. have been like, not going to happen next. That's why you have to come with me to that particular weekend. So anyway, we have that. I have that coming up, which means I am starting to get into the moving parts of standing up a one-time event. I have friends who are going to help, but there's still a lot just to keep track of, and I'm working out the best way to do that while actually having to execute things like, okay, we're looking at specifically which hotel to have it on. We picked a weekend, think we've got a price point for the event, so there's two out of three important things done, the last one is to actually get the hotel where we're going to have the event. So, And this is why, for big one-time events, you have people like wedding planners and event yes. planners who oh, do yeah. this professionally. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, this this is a huge job with a lot of moving parts that will come up and bite you on the ass if you mm-hmm. don't know where they're located. Mm-hmm. This is why it's good to have friends who have done it already. Yes. And I sound unnecessarily harsh, perhaps, in that I am not being, you know, supportive wombat <laughs> about your, your thing, but... Uh, this is the kind of project that gives me screaming hives. I can understand that. Because, as listeners know, there is nothing in the world I hate more than waiting on other people yeah. and being responsible for other people. So the sense that I could simultaneously let everyone down and that I am waiting for people to get back to me... Uh, I have a hard enough time being a writer, which is a notoriously solitary <laughs> profession. Indeed. Because I have to work with the editors and what. And my editors are great people. They make the books much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am still, you know, just... It, and it's nothing to do so much with the editors as with I am now reliant on another human being to make this project happen. And... Uh, it, Look, when you send home the reports from Ursula in kindergarten, it says does not play well with others. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. I played great with others. It's adult Ursula who is just done playing well with others. Right. And that extends to online gaming. You do, do not, not want to play, play multiplayer with anyone but you. Yes. And co-op, and that is co-op on a private server where no one can interrupt us. Yes. And that you're you're not... I notice you're not rushing out to do any of these collaborative writing projects that have come up with people who are just like, I would love to work with you. Uh, I would love to be the sort of person who would work with them. Yeah. It's, and this is, this is nothing to do with them as human beings. Right. It's, I am very, I, I do not collaborate well. It is a skill. It is a personality type. It is a thing you can learn and I have no doubt that A, I could learn to do it, and B, I'm not going to. Um, Those my, are all fair assessments. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, and this, uh, the problem is, of course, that being able to work well with others is a great thing. People should be proud of it. And I'm sounding like, you know, an uh, insensitive genius, you know, <laughs> who plays by her own rules and, you know, just uh, mm-hmm. somewhere between. Dirty, hairy, and asshole programmer syndrome. Yeah. Except that asshole programmers don't realize they have this problem. 
No, and asshole programmers, I will say, are often forced into such exercises as pair programming, which is where there are two of you working on basically the same code base, sometimes uh, literally the same file. That gives me the hives. The The whole idea of of both of us either sharing a monitor or sharing enough of a screen that we're able to both, that, that we're collaboratively working on code together line by line kind of thing, it, it makes me want to climb up a wall. Yeah, it's... I realized long ago that this was who I was, and there was not going to be any changing that, mm -hmm. and so I have gone, I have gravitated entirely to fields where this aspect of my personality makes as few people miserable as possible, right. including me. Right. Um, and I, I am suddenly reminded of... Uh, my mother, who, <laughs> God love her, uh, when I was like, we were discussing aging, and I was like, Mom, you know, I will move you here, I will, you know, put you next to you, but you realize, um, I am going to be terrible when you go into the home. I am distracted for you know distractible right. i forget things i'm i will look up from a project and it'll be 2 a.m i mean you and she was like oh honey i raised you i know what you're like <laughs> and i would like to be a better person in some regards because our society views a lot of these things as you are a horrible self-centered asshole but i am you know I am 40, and I don't think this is changing anytime soon. Right. So I have right. just arranged my life so mm -hmm. I make as few people miserable as possible in the process with, you know, that mm -hmm. fact. Uh, which, this is why I like self-publishing, as it turns out. But now, the, the interesting thing about this is there are a lot of authors, and authors is often a solitary profession. endeavor. Yeah. There are a lot of authors, authors who have had very successful collaborations. Oh, God, yes. Without actually having to directly interact with the other person. Um, I don't follow. Like, I'm... Uh, James S.A. Corey is two people. Yes. Who writes The Expanse. But they don't... They, they aren't, like, on a phone call every day or talking every day about what's happening in a chapter. They're writing their point of views from the characters independently to a point, and then they have to bring the storylines together. Oh, yeah. And I know mm -hmm. some people do that, right. which, you know, more power mm -hmm. to them. I think, uh, I think the new collaboration between Delilah Dawson and Kevin Hearn was mostly an email back and forth thing. I don't have any notes on how um, Good Omens, not Good Omens, um, yeah, Good Omens was written. Uh, according to uh, Neil Gaiman, he and Pratchett would get on a phone call mm -hmm. and they would talk about what to do for the next chapter and then they would both run home and write the chapter and then send it to each <laughs> other. And uh, so, and and the thing is, like, you know, my buddy Murr wants to collaborate on a story and we have been trying to sort of figure out how to make that is work. Is this the Christmas tapeworm? No. Okay. This is the uh, the billionaire wear anglerfish. Oh right, the wear anglerfish. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, I'm like, I will write her perspective. You the the wear sperm whale perspective. You write the wear anglerfish. And uh, well, all right then. You know, her agent got the same look when we were explaining this. Yeah. The agent was just like, "Please, please 
Don't make me pitch this. <laughs> That's why... But you, you have the T. Kingfisher platform now to self-publish it. Well, <laughs> I don't know if T. Kingfisher needs to soil their reputation quite so badly with that. <laughs> that may be fair. Yes. No, we're going to be the Super Volcano Sisters. Alrighty then. Super Volcano is the best word, and no one uses it as a, yeah, no, as no. a pseudonym. I'm with you on Anyway, uh, who knows if that will ever happen. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, Murr and I are very good friends, which is why this, you know, works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I collaborate on The Hidden Almanac. We do. But that is largely because I write it and then hand it to you. Yes, occasionally I have been... Mord wouldn't say that, and you were always correct. Yep. Uh, or... I'll come up with just, like, I will have the idea, but I can't craft the words right for it. I did write, admittedly, I wrote the script for the Hidden Almanac part of the Hidden Almanac um, uh, Voice of Free Planet X episode. Oh, yes, the crossover, yes. The crossover episode. Yes. And that was a lot of fun, but that was... I, I want to say that was special, and I had a lot to work with because I was I was bringing in, you know, extra people and was able to to do it, but I couldn't do it on the regular. Yeah. Anyway, so this mm-hmm. has gotten far afield about right. the the collaborating is hard and it is, uh, and not everyone wants mm-hmm. to do it, and and that is okay. I want to tell you if you are a person who's just like <laughs> cannot do it, I am right there with you. It's fine. Yes. Uh, it's it does not make you a terrible person, or if it does, we'll be terrible people together. Yes. Yeah. So that's I'm I'm not going to say your homework for this next week is to collaborate. Good, because I'll kick you. Yes, I know. But Microsoft does have their new uh, to do app out. I think. Uh, I still haven't looked at, at Tick Tick. I oh, have okay. Tick Tick, and I you need have Tick to... Tick. You need to look at that. Yes. But I have been using Wanderlist, mm-hmm. and uh, I am. I am taking a mental health day tomorrow. You are. Uh, also known as the weather is finally warm enough to garden, and I am cleaning that garden up if it kills me. <laughs> so. I actually have another one for you to try. Okay. That Mary Thingvall had recommended. It's called Forest. All right. And what you do is... Is this the one where you like water a little tree or something? You, well, you, yeah, you, it, it, you start on a task, and then as long as you don't interrupt or somehow change whatever it grows a tree so that at the end of the day you have a series of trees from every time you start and stop. And apparently it's really useful if you're into the Pomodoro technique, which I know better than to make you try. Mostly because we will end up with a tomato-shaped mechanical timer embedded in a wall somewhere. (laughs) Or my head, (laughs) since the coffee shop isn't reopened yet, and you're working mostly here, yes, which I, means I, you can walk across and throw it at me. <laughs> I need to start going to the uh, the uh, the bakery has places you can sit and write. Right, I could, I could mm-hmm. do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, my productivity has suffered substantially since the coffee shop yes. is is gone because my schedule is out of whack. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the good news is we're hearing that we're looking at an opening in the next month. Yeah, in April. In April. So, so hopefully that'll that'll pick things back up. Uh, the older I get, the more I really want a return to normalcy. It's like I right. have my comfortable <laughs> life. <laughs> I and rut is such a, a word with such connotations. It's not a rut. It's like I I have the divot. You yes. I I you have it, the 
the divot in the bed, yes. Yes, in the middle of the bed, there is a divot. It is the most comfortable spot in the entire bed to sleep. Kind of is, yeah. And part of, you know, of collaborating in sleeping in the bed is mm-hmm. who has control of the divot. Which is you, <laughs> unless you're not in the bed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well. I, I occasionally have to nudge enough space in the divot for me to at least get into the bed in general, because you tend to spread out a little bit once I you're in do. there, but it's uh, fine. Yes, and and I am, um, I have, it, this is what allows me to get the, the best night's sleep, is to be in my divot. Yes. And the thing that allows me to get the most productivity done in workout mm-hmm. is to be in my nice life divot where everything is comfortable and arranged. Right. Now, I am sure that every self-help book on earth is screaming now about how I'm supposed to get out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is writing awesome books. They could bite me. That's that's fine. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. You, yeah. you, you aren't... A lot of times when these self-help books talk about get out of your comfort zone and do this or do that, you're not the intended audience. No, I'm beyond help. You are, well, not (laughs) just that, but these are people who are already sort of dissatisfied with where they are. These are aimed for people who don't feel that they are reaching their full potential or even a portion of it, and they're looking for that boost to kind of help lift themselves up. And that's great. The thing to remember is it's called a self-help book, because it is for you to help yourself, not you will read this book and miraculously be fixed. The answer to if you just read this book, your life will be incredibly better and everything will turn around the moment you finish it is cult. Yes. Is uh, is cult, cult and um Hey that reminds me, you're gonna be re- doing the artist's way for the podcast, aren't you? I, I am. Oh, I'm gonna it's read such a cult. I have the artist way that my friend... I say that with love, internet. That our friend D gave us. I say that with love, D. Yep. And I also have a copy of um, Ariel Bloomer's book, Turn Your Pain Into Art, which is the book she wrote talking about her struggles and getting through her depression and using crafting that to make her music and her designs and things like that. And she did say, you don't have to live that way. Uh, okay, but, good. Cause, cause you, you can't see my expression internet, but the right. minute people put pain and art together, I immediately like thunder clouds rush in yes. and sit upon my brow. Yeah. I, uh, I am like 30 seconds and a good excuse from going on a, a screaming terror about how if, Van Gogh had just had lithium, he would have lived longer. And um, been probably 20, produced, times, 20 times more production, yes. yeah. So, I am not, I realize, the target audience for this book. This book is not aimed at 47-year-old Kevin. It's aimed at the 14- or 15-year-old or 20-, 21-year-old younger person who is struggling with depression who is is struggling but you have struggled with depression and i have yeah but i think there's also a much stronger lean from ariel on addressing it with girls quite but well read mm-hmm. the book yes and report yes. for I the show will. and certainly i will, will i will uh 
uh, perhaps I will. You can make me read the book for homework one of these days, and I will. I will have opinions because I have both art and uh, ovaries. You do. There are many, many men mm-hmm. out there, for the record, mm-hmm. who uh, who also have ovaries because, God damn it, we live in an enlightened world. This is very true. Or at least we should. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this is not to equate ovaries with womanhood. But you know how it is, internet, mm-hmm. when you go through that stretch of teen angstification. Yeah, and and I, I, I have my fair share of bad poetry that is in the attic and will never see the light of day again. Haha, <laughs> all of my good stuff, and by good stuff I mean horrible, reprehensible horrible, stuff, yes. including all of the sex scenes I was writing when I was like 13 and had read the Clan of the Cave Bear books, are, uh, are lost forever on an Amiga hard drive. Well, the universe could be thankful for that. Damn straight. One last thing before we head over to talk to Michelle. I said last week I would talk about the difference between the 85 by 11 and the 85 by 55 pages from Tool. Tool! Tool! All right, here we go. We have, um, so I, I have them. Yes. You also have a sign that says, Beware of Attack Chicken. Yes, I need to find a place to put that. So the big thing about this is, um, on the, on the good side, they did not just take these pages and size them up, like, blow them up. They actually, they actually, like, if you look here on the seating chart, the square size is the same size on the 8.5 by 11. So these are literally laid out the same, but significantly larger. Oh, see, okay, that, that's for the teacher edition. Right. I was like, seating chart? Who the hell has a Sorry about the, the rattling, yeah. in there? Well, that's, this is all that this is all that was left at the Chicago Office Max that was going out of business. So he grabbed me the Crimson. Our friend Crimson grabbed us the uh, the the teacher edition because it was dirt cheap. Oh my God, so cheap. So, but um, cheap tool. Cheap tool. But if you if you look, you'll notice it's not just like this one made bigger. It's got a different layout. Yes. It's got. Um, roughly the same line spacing, but when you get to the lesson plan pages here further back, there's actually more space to write on it. Yes. So, if you prefer 8.5 by 11, I still give these kind of a thumbs up, because they didn't just say, well, we have a bigger page, so we're just going to magnify it, and it was it's the exact same page, only bigger. Um, it's got... Oh, God. The websites to remember page... Like, on the 8.5... By 11, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Oh, look, and you can write down your username and password. I know. I'm, I'm trying really hard not to scream. But there, <laughs> there are six slots for that on the... Tool eight, fell. On the 8.5 by 11, there are three on the 8.5 by 5.5. Or rather, the, the letter size versus the classic or junior size. I, they, they did a really good job. And so I'm... You know, I might take a look at the, the home edition... And I actually, I'm kind of hoping they expand the line, because I've been using the home, like, weekly schedule pages for my day-to-day. And I really kind of like them. They're they're not overly complicated. I don't have to deal with, you know, a heavy-duty schedule hour by hour by hour anymore, so just having some space for a day is great. You know, and then a whole bunch of places to put down notes to myself about things to put into my to-do list. So, uh, so Tool, thumbs up. Once more, gotta 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 hand it to Office Max. Who left up? <sighs> gotta hand it to Office Max on this one. I think they kind of knocked it out of the park. Would you say it's cool? No, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. 
We should go to the interview. We're, we're I'm gonna we're gonna go talk to my friend Michelle now, and He's I hope you guys try enjoy. To scour it. that joke for Miss. It's gonna take a little while. Hi folks, I am here with my friend Michelle, who we met at Aresia last year, and she has agreed to come on and talk about how she stays productive. So Michelle, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about like what you do? Hi, I am Michelle Wexelblatt, and I am a self-employed mental health clinician. I'm a, I have a master's in social work, and I run my own private practice. I am also where we met Kevin and Ursula was through the science fiction convention Aresia here in Boston, where they, where Ursula was guests of honor, one of the, one of our guests of honor, and I have the honor of being the guest of honor liaison again for Aresia nineteen. Ooh! Uh, so that's one of the things that I'm doing. Uh, I am also, <laughs> uh, besides being self-employed, I am a parent to two teenagers, and all of the organization stuff that comes with running a household. Always fun, and believe me, I understand that's a lot of work, and there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, so, is. yeah. So, within the mental health work mm-hmm. that I do, mm-hmm. I see people 14 to 114, all genders, sexualities, relationship dynamics, and I do a lot of work with people all along the spectrum of adverse life experience. Mm. Everything from simple "my life sucks" to people with dissociative identity disorder, major major trauma. Uh, and helping people build their lives back from there. So how do you keep yourself organized with all this going on? I had a lot of help getting started from other people in private practice, um, including having done the thing that Ursula said early on that she dreaded, which was making a business mission statement and <laughs> things like that and how to craft that. And Because as a mental health clinician, it really drives how you advertise and how you think about yourself. Um, that little 20-second elevator pitch of who I am and what I do, my uh, colleague Charles and I spent, oh my God, uh, over an hour and a couple of ciders trying to figure out how to distill what it is that I do. And I just met up with a, a what I call a frolic, friend colleague, <laughs> uh, this morning for brunch. And I've been trying to think about how to talk about the trauma work that I do to not just be, well, I'm, I'm a trauma clinician. I'm, I'm trauma trained. And there are lots of people who say that, but what is it that really gives the, the idea that I do? And so building off of that idea is looking at people who have adverse life experiences. We all do. Mm -hmm. And they, they vary and they can be simple and they can be really life impairing. And just like I work with all spectrums of everything else, I work with all sorts of spectrums along that is that yeah so how do i stay organized when i first graduated uh i've been thinking about this and Mm -hmm. when i first graduated grad school i started out as a nursing home social worker 
Now, when you're working with people in the rehab section of a nursing home, you have lots of times and dates and deadlines that are state mandated that you have to meet. Right. State mandated. So that makes it really important not to miss. Yes. You have three days, you have nine days, you have 15 days. All of these things have to be done in that timeline. And so I built myself on a clipboard with a piece of paper held the long way because I had the lines and everything that I Mm -hmm. needed, um, a spreadsheet. Okay, yeah, yeah. Who the client was and vertical lines for all of their timelines and everything. And I just checked them off and put the dates and everything. So they knew where I was with every single client on my record. Mm-hmm. Hugely important. When I went into private practice, I built myself a spreadsheet. Okay. And on that spreadsheet was name, start of date, what their insurance is, um and when their next uh, treatment plan was due, what date I'd seen them. And because I was in private practice, I was not in private practice, I was working for somebody else, I also wanted to keep track whether I'd been paid or not uh, yeah, yeah. for any particular <laughs> client. And so I had a system for that, and I color-coded things. But I'm looking at the tools that I'm using now, and I realized that I started using Daytimer back in college. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the daytimer system. Uh, unfortunately, there are bits and pieces that come with the various ones, and I brought them so that you could see, and I know our guests can't. <laughs> but daytimer oh, yeah. uses these information pages. Yep. I have two of them. They're still sealed. I haven't and touched that's the, them. that's the Franklin Covey, right? Or is, I don't know yes. if that's Franklin Covey. But it's these loose-leaf papers mm-hmm. that in here have all of these what's supposed to be useful information. One is marked 2015, one is marked 2017. I haven't touched them. I haven't opened them. Obviously, yeah, it's, it's okay. But when, I went, but when I went looking and mm-hmm. I pulled these out, I also noticed that there is a vehicle distance and expense record. And yep. for the last almost six years of private practice, I have been stressing about how to keep track of <laughs> <laughs> um, vehicle distance is my driving thing because I don't write down what my start is and what my finish is because look at these these tiny 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 little boxes oh, I can't yeah, write that yeah. I haven't written that small since I wrote crib sheets in high school hold on hold on um so <laughs> now okay sorry everybody uh so a couple episodes ago um office max has come out with a tool their their tul tool line and you'll hear ursula yelling a lot when i start reviewing these uh, in a couple <laughs> but one of the things they have is they have a set of pre-made travel ones. I don't know if mileage is part of that one. So I'm flipping. See, I have them all in like all of their right. the different pages in one big thing. So this is the size of the one that I carried around for the nursing home. Because yes. I, if anybody got out of line, if any of the nurses gave me too much of a hard time, I could I could beat them about the head and shoulders with it. But no, it meant that I had all of my references, everything right. I needed, right. including all of my contacts, anything absolutely useful for my job at my fingertips. In, well, in an easy fashion. The 8.5 by 11, right? No. Oh, these are... Sorry about the noise. That's um, okay. So this is an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. Okay, there we this go. Yeah. The, so that's the, the junior or classic size. Now, what I'm using now mm-hmm. is this. Yes, the 5 by... 5 by 3? Uh, 5... Uh, the... Five and a half by... It's got a little ruler in it. So the yeah. ruler is Ooh. five and a half. Basically, it's five a half, and half sheet half of paper. By, or a quarter sheet of paper? Is it a half sheet of paper somewhere? The book itself is a half sheet of paper. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. I find this size to work really well for me working with mm-hmm. clients. But pre-printed pages is going to be so tiny to write on so many so often. 
Right. Yeah. So, so you can't really see my client names or anything on here, but you can mm-hmm. see the, the the shape that this is. I do by the week. Okay. Yeah. 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 You and use what's the weekly. important okay. for me is I need systems that are redundant, and I've had to delete some of those redundant systems because I make mistakes. But on the cover of the page, and this is really important for my organization, is I have to buy ones that have timelines on the month of the glance. Okay. Yes. Because what I do is I plot my entire client timeline for the entire month wow on the on on the month glance and Mm -hmm. then i translate it in week by week i need to do this because i see some people once a week Mm -hmm. some people every other week some people once a month right and i need to know where my holes are going into the future Mm -hmm. so i always have at least the next month in my book right now because of weight i only have through april (laughs) The other thing that I've started doing is because of how I practice, there are a lot of therapists that just, you know, make their appointments week by week and they have a vague idea of when people are coming in and they hope that they can do this every week and and Mm -hmm. your timelines may shift. I am, I want, because of being a trauma-informed professional, I want everybody to know when their next appointment is going to be. Right. I want them to know that they have that time slot. Mm -hmm. And builds client retention and you get fewer no-shows if people are coming in at the same time every week because it allows them to build it up in their practice as a habit it builds a habit for them yes yes Mm -hmm. and so what i do is i make myself a little chart to where i have all my timelines that i could potentially be in Mm -hmm. and i put all my clients in their time slots it also allows me to know how many openings i have for taking new clients yeah, because if you can't take new clients, you don't want to have say, oh, sure, I have an appointment open, and then now you're double booked or worse. Right. So the next piece of organization that I do for that is that I do have a, a simplified spreadsheet at my office mm-hmm. that, with numbers, keeps track of how often I see people. Okay. Um, and that allows me that in that... That finalized number, I make sure that that and my calendar matches. I have X number of hours a week I can see clients. Mm -hmm. Rather than counting number of clients, I have that's the final number of hours per week I can see people, and Mm -hmm. it all matches up. Okay, cool. So so that's in part of my business. Um, Mm -hmm. I pay people to do the billing because there is no such – they don't pay us for that. We don't get paid for t- mm-hmm. and, and calling insurance companies. And if you've ever had a medical condition, how long you can spend trying to get through to customer service or anything, mm-hmm. that's worth my money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, take, I take eight or nine different insurances right now, which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, no, I go to a doctor that doesn't actually take insurance, and I have right. to file my own. And while it's a pain in my butt, it also has – it reduces cost because they don't have to pay all this staff or extra people yep. to do all that. So. Yep. And yeah. so I have a billing service that takes care of that for me. Very nice. Yes. Um, a couple of years ago, actually through Arisia, somebody introduced me to Trello. Yes. Now, my difficulty is the way my mind map works. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you've talked about, about mind maps and how people think. We've talked about the idea of doing the, the physical mind map. We haven't talked mm-hmm. about how people think. Um, and I think that's a, a fascinating thing because everybody thinks a little differently. And the mind mapping tool where you put an idea in the middle and then you start branching out with all the ideas and things and build a diagram, I'm pretty sure that's completely different than what you're going to talk about. That is exactly how I think. You give me 
any particular problem and right? I think of all solutions to it all at the goddamn same time. <laughs> all of them, no priority, no no organization. And this makes me a fabulous therapist because when I'm seeing, sitting there and I'm listening to people think and I'm listening to people talk, mm-hmm. and I've thought about all these different potential ways I can problem solve with them mm-hmm. that's not necessarily linear. Right. And with no priority, I have no... What's the word I'm looking for? No preference, no uh, judgment on what they take. I don't think one answer is any better than another. Right. They are all potentially possible. And as long as it works for the person, it works for the person. The problem is, is that makes it very hard for me to prioritize. Yes. I work with people who, and in listening to those early podcasts of yours, mm-hmm. um, prioritization where people get overwhelmed looking at their list and their long list. Mm -hmm. I know people who, if they have more than one item on their list ever, uh, or if they have a long-term goal, if they have a long-term goal, like I have one person who's working on disability, Mm -hmm. they can't think about even doing the laundry if the disability thing is not settled. Now that's a months long process or years long process. Mm -hmm. So they get overwhelmed just knowing that they have this big thing that they have to deal with. Right, which is a, which is a, a magnification level to some of the stuff you're talking about. Uh, yeah, about. absolutely. I mean, and and um, what was it? The the fight, flight, freeze response that I was talking with a um, a pastor and survivor of uh, of of mental health issues in the past mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that we always think about fight or flight, but we don't think about freeze. And something like that is an ap- like a classic freeze response. I have this huge thing. Right. Okay, now what? And maybe if I move, or maybe if I don't move, it won't notice that I'm not getting the thing done. Yes. <laughs> and it really does, and thinking about the neurobiology of it, as fight mm-hmm. and flight is connected to your brainstem, uh, mm-hmm. your lizard brain, the oldest part of your brain. Freeze is an amygdala reaction. It's an emotional brain thing that comes from uh, overwhelmed and flooded emotional systems. Right. Okay. Okay. So, you know, what you do decides, you know, fight or flight is that lizard brain is, am I going to punch the idiot in the face or mm-hmm. am I going to book it? Right. And that's got to be made really fast. And that brainstem part of your brain makes decisions at seven tenths of a second. Yeah, that makes about, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, you're the, the clinician, brain, you know. Right, right. Your rational brain takes mm-hmm. somewhere between seven and 14 seconds to warm up and say, hold the phone. We don't have to punch the shithead. <laughs> we really don't. There's, there's a bouncer right there. We don't have to do this. Right, right. But think of the number of bad decisions you can make at seven tenths of a second between when that starts and seven and 14 seconds when your brain finally kicks into gear. Think of the number of panic responses you can have to trying to get organized or doing your life mm-hmm. at seven tenths of a second when you go to try to do stuff. You could, uh, that's, that's what, 10 reactions the amount of time it takes for your brain alone to get to a point where it's say, hang on, hold on, let's think about this for a second. You've already gone through seven different possible reactions. Seven to 10 different reactions, yeah. yep. And you could have already talked yourself out of so many things by that mm-hmm. point. And you could have given up. You could have just said, nope, I can't do this because, nope, I've been through this. Nope, nope, nope. Screw it. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're done. Yep. Got to go. Or your brain, or freeze. Your brain locks up going. Gibber, 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 gibber. Too much. Too much. Everybody slow down. Let's wait a minute. And yeah. 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 So, 
Trello allows me to going back mm -hmm. to take that inability to prioritize and to think of everything at once, mm -hmm. and it forces me to put into an, put it into an organizational system. Oh, so you can just essentially dump your mind map into Trello cards and then sort them out in how you yes. want to do them. Nice. Yes, and so I then do this. So I'm also at home the person who manages all of the house projects. Mm -hmm. I keep in mind everything from what do we have in the refrigerator and in the cabinets and where everything is because I have a visual mind map of where everything is in the house. Mm -hmm. They call it the magic mommy finding powers. I know where everything is. Oh, man. You're ahead of me my on that one. My teenager is sitting here next to me nodding going, yep, magic mommy finding powers. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can't find it, then fuck it, it's lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, so every so often I get overwhelmed with a number of of family projects and things for the teenagers and things for the spouse and things mm -hmm. for us and things for the dog. And even with having a Google calendar, which is another mm -hmm. one of my organizational things that are color coded and we have a separate calendar for Alan, one for mm -hmm. me, one for each teenager, one for the dog. Right. Um, you, wait, your dog has its own calendar? My dog has its own calendar because I put repeated uh, things like heartworm and the brevecto and when, oh, yeah. it, when the dog has a, a vet appointment. Um, I put the uh, dog walkers schedule in there so that I can keep track of when the dog walkers have come so I know if my bill is right. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, if I've made a vet appointment, I could potentially put it under my calendar as Holly vet appointment, but that doesn't mean that anybody else looking at my calendar registers that that's there. But as I've shared that with Alan, my mm -hmm. husband, that if he sees that in the calendar that the vet has an appointment. He knows I'm going to be busy or that he has to take the dog or something right, and he gets to right. see it. Um, I have a separate one for my business because I have a separate Gmail account for my business. Mm -hmm. And you don't want that one percolating into the family account because of patient confidentiality. confidentiality. Yep. So when that comes through, it just shows busy times. Mm -hmm. It just shows there is busy. Um I have added in uh, holiday calendars. Oh, yeah. Um, I have handed, I've added in the Aresia calendar. Mm -hmm. I have my younger teenager's school calendar I... and the older teenager's school calendar added in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that, was, that was great when I found out that my, the school that my, kids, my kid goes to, my kids, plural, went to, because one's graduated now. Um, yay. When they... When they when I found out they had a, a Google Calendar feed, I was like banging on that subscribe button. I don't have to go through at the beginning of the year and write down or write down into a separate calendar when all the days off school are and all that stuff. It was great. Right. Mm -hmm. So so Google Calendar is one of the things that I use for organization. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think what else I do that keeps me organized. So Trello has been huge for that. But there's things that, you know, my desk is a disaster. I have piles. I live by my piles. Um, I could I could show you the the madness that is my normal workspace behind me here. I'm going to tilt the calendar so you can see like how I've got like the one screen and then all the different devices kind of you know yep. and you don't even want to look at what's behind this one because that's where like I've got all the books and the spare planners and yeah no I understand messy desk yeah so I'm trying to think what other stuff that I use um, I am horrible about passwords so I have a password organizer I'm and... giving you a stern look. Why? Written path having a written password organizer is asking. No, no, no. Oh. Uh, LastPass, which is locked okay, behind okay. a. So that's okay. Yeah. So an electronic, a, 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 a service. electronic okay. one. 
an electronic service that is has its own master password yes. that I know okay. that is not written down anywhere that keeps track of it because like some of my um, insurance companies make me change passwords every three months. Oh yeah, I yeah. do. And so you know, I only have to ask for. Uh, sessions every three months so every mm-hmm. time i go to log in i have to generate new passwords which means i'm not building up any memory for them anyway right so i let i let LastPass uh do that for me no um, i'm i'm a big fan of, of password vaults it's just every time I, I get one of these planners there's like here's a place to write down website no. usernames and oh passwords and i want to set them on complaints. fire oh yeah i'm looking at this and here it is in my personal my personal information on my day timer they ask your vehicle driver's license number make and model license mm-hmm. plate registration number body serial number attorney insurance agent accountant stockbroker no mm-hmm. way they even have a thing here for bank and bank account numbers so 50 years ago when, or even 30 years ago, before we had electronic storage and we had all the easy access, <clears throat> that was the the planner. I, I remember people like swearing uh, by their Franklin planner, swearing by their daytimers. Their whole life was in there, and they it was like a physical part of their body. These days, that is a huge security risk, right? Because it's all electronic now, and having that information is basically saying, here's a book, please steal my bank account. Right. right. Yes. Really. Thirty years ago, it was With a different story. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> so that's yeah. a lot of what I do. I do mm-hmm. think in spreadsheets. I remember somebody else that you that you interviewed talked about spreadsheets, and the spreadsheet idea in my head makes a whole lot of sense. Oh, the other thing. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm working on everything that we need for guest of honor stuff for Arisia mm-hmm. and how to make that a legacy system that I can pass on to whoever mm-hmm. it is that does the job next year. So that so it's not a one and done. It's a here. Here is a system that we can reuse going forward. And for us, there's a whole lot of uh, sausage making behind the scenes that has to do with why guest of honor stuff is so difficult and why having a legacy system is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, the con is using um, Google a lot, and so mm-hmm. I am making a lot of my documents and things in uh, Google and doing some spreadsheets with people and Mm -hmm. making a folder of legacy documents that we are then connecting to our conventions wiki uh the staff wiki yeah and there's Mm -hmm. a staff wiki Mm -hmm. and so we can just you know give people that information for next year but it really needs to be organized and so i have a trello Mm -hmm. um uh card that is specifically for guest of honor stuff a trello board trello board yes yes Yes, the the larger board Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking at moving my office in a couple of months. So I have a Trello board about, about always, moving offices. Always messy, yeah. And it was huge. It was I, 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 I did this like a boss. I was so proud of myself <laughs> that when I went to try to do this move a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I created a spreadsheet that had all of my current uh, charges, everything that was, was current expenses, right. everything that I was incurring with the new place, all my moving costs. And then I even made myself a column that said, all right, with a new place, I'm supposed to be saving money. When does that start to happen? When do I actually pay off my moving costs? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. When does this actually become having been a good idea to do? Because I wasn't, I wasn't done with my old lease mm-hmm. on my old place. So I still had to pay my old rent and I had to pay new rent mm-hmm. and everything else. And so many things got complicated. Um, that that I wouldn't if I had moved then I would not have paid off the move until June of 2019. Holy moly! And that does mm-hmm. not make it worth it. No, 
Now, one of the things in, in doing therapy is that we have to keep track of electronic health records. Mm-hmm. How do we keep track of people's paperwork and stuff? And there is an absolutely beautiful electronic health uh, uh, e and document manager system called eDocs, I think it is. Um, no, that's not it. Yeah, because uh, whatever it is, it has to be HIPAA compliant to boot. Yes. So you can't just throw all that stuff into Google because if you do that, that's no. asking for trouble. Right. Um, though the business one that you pay for mm-hmm. uh, through Google is supposed to be HIPAA compliant. Is it? Yes. Huh, I guess I should look at and see what it says about my family account then because I, I have a <laughs> I have a G apps for your domain kind of thing, which is in theory the business one, but it's not like the business business one, so I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It is absolutely a beautiful program that I want to be able to use, but it's expensive, and I have to figure out whether it is something that I can use. Updocs, that's what it's called. Updocs, okay. U-P-D-O-X, Updocs, Um, and it connects to different electronic health records. Now, you can scan a PDF, edit the PDF, fax the PDF, and then file the PDF in the client's chart all from the same page with a few clicks of the button. Nice. Yes. And that would save me so much time because, as I said, clinicians don't get paid for paperwork time. Right. Right, right, And right. I try to keep as few pieces of paper in my office because of confidentiality as I need to. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I know so, I, need to, I, need to, I need to write that one down. Um, what was that one called again? Updocs. U-P-D-O-X. Updocs. Docs. I like that. Um, it's fabulous. That's Absolutely a, beautiful. That's a it good really, name. Yeah. Yeah, and people really uh, thought about it. And mm-hmm. so um, it is not connected to the potentially new electronic health record that I need to switch to. Um, but it's connected to the old one, but they can maybe make a deal. And that would be lovely. Eventually, yes, yes. So, okay, yeah. So I do all of this stuff mm-hmm. so that I can spend my time actually focused on the people when I walk in the room. Um, I use Square for processing credit cards. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's simple, it's easy, um, and it's you know got a good interface with my iPad, and yep. um, there's my devices, and there's my life, and that's kind of you know those are the tools that I use to stay organized wow. when I, I th- remember to use them. I think it took ten or fifteen minutes just to get through all the tools and things you use to 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 stay organized. That's pretty awesome. Um, uh, I mean, I even go down to the organization of as I keep a, a, a pill organizer on my desk for my vitamins and making sure I take my antihistamines at night. So I'm not miserable. I like my organization. So I like making, I spent a lot when I first started in private practice, I spent Mm -hmm. a lot of that first several months needing to make systems. Mm -hmm. I have to have a system. If I don't have a system for something, I I can't function and it remains chaos in my life until it's fixed. So with all of that, and we've talked about a whole bunch of systems, what habits and systems, what are, what, what habits now are important to you? Because I think we've talked about what systems are important to you, and I don't think, I don't know if we need to cover more in there. <laughs> what do you mean by habits? Um, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I can, I think about habits from a mental health point of view, which is self-care. Uh, well, and there's, there's some of that, but there, there's things like, um, I get up every morning and I write down the three most important, ta- I mean, there's. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My problem is, is that I am up at seven and I Mm -hmm. have to be out the door with the teenager to drive them 40 miles to school Mm -hmm. by 730 so that they can be there by 815. Yep. 
Okay. And then I have somewhere between a 25 and a 45 minute commute, sometimes longer, till I get to my office. Right. I don't have time to do stuff first thing in the morning. Everything has to be done and prepped the night before if I'm going to be doing anything. See, that's a habit right there, sitting down to prep everything the night before. That would be a Uh, habit. Eh, when you remember to do it, like, yeah, uh yeah. Yeah, usually I'm throwing things, I get up. Get dressed. You know, I when I was in college, I perfected the twenty-one minute wake up out the door at the T for the for getting to school. I went to mm-hmm. BU, so the T here in the, the Boston is our above ground right. uh, rail system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a big pre-plan the night before. Like I, I I got the coffee maker with the timer and the built-in grinder, so I just have to dump everything out at night, put mm-hmm. in the new stuff, push the button, and walk away. Um, right. I will sometimes set, I have a really nice thermos, sometimes make my tea the night before and it's still mm-hmm. warm at a drinkable temperature the next morning. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's the electric kettle that I hit when I walk in the office and somewhere by the third client, I have remembered to actually start drinking my tea. <laughs> but yeah. it depends. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, you're so not, habits. Yeah. Like, um, uh, oh God, if I go with the guys online and the girls online and the people online who do all their blogging, it's like, you know, do you exercise every day? Do you do this? Do you, do, you know, all of these. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm happy if I, you know, if, if I remember every day to check everything off of my to-do list and, uh, or my habits list on Habitica, right? The, the little I've been RPG. curious about Habitica yeah. and whether that would help as a household for us because my <laughs> kids are gamers. My husband's a gamer. We're, we're you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Get them to do things. It, it varies person to person, you know, might be worth looking into. Um, yeah. But it's also, it's designed around that idea of I want to build habits. And so, um, you know, I can reinforce or um, positively or negatively reinforce uh, a, a habit I want to do. Like I can set a little thing up that every time I chew my fingernails, not that I, I don't chew my fingernails, but I can hit a minus and it actually hurts my little character when I do the thing I'm not supposed to do versus the little plus, like I've got a, all right, I'm really bad about this one. I'm supposed to be measuring my, my blood pressure multiple times a day. My doctor's insisting. And I am terrible at that. I forget. I'm like, oh, I'll do it in an hour. And then it's three hours later. And then it's the next day. And I, you know, but, but I can have a little thing on there that I can push a plus and tell it that I have improved my, my blood pressure. Or on the flip side, I could just set a reminder every hour to say, hey, check your blood pressure, doofus. Right. That's what I tend to do with my Mm -hmm. phone. Uh, One of the things I keep turning it off when I'm in meetings or something Mm -hmm. is I have a meditation timer, a mindfulness gong. Okay. So you guys have been upfront about mental health things. Mm -hmm. Um, After the birth of my second kid, my hormone system never re-regulated. And I wound up fighting really nasty anxiety for a long time, Mm -hmm. had two bad reactions to medication, and then said, I have to do this on my own. I can't. Mm -hmm. One of them made me not sleep for four days, and I decided that not sleeping was worse than being as anxious and messed up as I was. Yes. And the Mm -hmm. other one uh, left me with the feeling that I just wanted to keep taking pills until I felt better after having taken the first pill. That's also not good. No, no, bad, no, bad. Yeah, no, very bad. And mm-hmm. so, 
uh, it took me a long time to figure out a balance and stuff. And I have mm-hmm. uh, an at need anti-anxiety med that I use for when my symptoms are not controllable by me doing meditation and stretching and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of my self-care things, which is why self-care is really so important to me. Yeah. Well, and, and we were just they, talking they last week about in your head. Oh, sorry. As a, as a mental health clinician, they pound mm-hmm. self-care into your head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking to, to a uh, community manager and independent consultant last week, and her big thing is, as she's hammering into people, put your oxygen mask on before you help others. Yes. You're doing yes. no one any good if you are gasping for breath or running around like a, like a fool. Yeah. So given that I had to do all that work for myself, one mm-hmm. of the things that I did is essentially a Pavlovian response to a particular sound which is the, the, the bell for the, the mindfulness uh, mm-hmm. gong that I use. And so when it goes off, randomly, approximately once an hour, I remember to take a deep breath. Okay. Or I breathe for the length of time that I hear the gong. And because my system is so trained to that, mm-hmm. there is a feedback loop that happens that your body remembers the relaxed state that you were in from when you were doing this before. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, uh, it's a parasympathetic response to the sound of it. It's a Pavlovian response. You can train the dog to, to, to salivate, but if you use the same sound when you are meditating and you get to a good place of regularly deep meditating and you have that sound, your body automatically goes back to that place. Wow, okay. Within seconds. See, that's, that is an awesome kind of habit or, 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 or just that, that's cool. I, I notice my anxiety is worse yeah. when I've turned the chime off and I forget to have it on for several days or a week because mm-hmm. I'm not hearing it regularly. My system is not decompressing. Right. Thank you, Holly. That's my dog. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you think about our emotional systems, they're mm-hmm. finite. Right. We only have a certain amount of room. If yeah. we are not regularly decompressing them, mm-hmm. then we only have tiny amounts to, to deal with. Right. So we have to slowly decompress these systems periodically across a day, mm-hmm. across a week, so that when a crisis this happens we don't overload which is which falls into why planning and all of this is so mm-hmm. important because it keeps you and able to to lower all of that now you've been doing this thing from the at the very beginning where you talked mm-hmm. about smart uh smart plans and things smart like goals, that yes. smart goals and everything mm-hmm. and i'm listening to this and i'm going oh my god you could be a therapist because this is exactly <laughs> how we do treatment planning this is exactly what we're taught for treatment planning so s stands for um, specific, measurable, right. specific, um, measurable goals. Yep. Yep. A, um, attainable or achievable. Um, I can't remember what the R is and timely. Timely is really important. Um, yes. so this is R, what we I do. The therapy. R is the one always slips. Like, yes. I and I remembered it right up until the time you asked and said that I couldn't remember it because <laughs> that happened. Uh, achievable, uh, we, Damn it. It's going to bug both of us now until it shows up. And specific, measurable, attainable, reasonable, timeless. Reasonable. Thank you, teenager. Thank you. <laughs> you learned that where? Yeah, class. Uh, junior instructor class. There you go. Um, yeah. So that's exactly how mm-hmm. I do treatment goals with my clients. Mm-hmm. When you have a project, you start with this and you talk about this large, big goal. Mm-hmm. We talk about is where do you see yourself in five years? Mm-hmm. What do you see yourself being able to retain in six months? Okay. And when I'm writing a treatment plan, then we do we do one year, six months, three months. What are we doing this week? What are you doing today? 
same way that yeah. you do a an ordinary you're doing these sort of planners mm-hmm. this is how mental health clinicians organize or taught to organize at least i was taught to organize how we do our sessions with clients to help them make goals that are are uh, achievable right. now the big thing that happens that is not necessarily there that i don't hear you doing which is stages of change right well i'm i'm not necessarily a I'm not. A, I'm not a therapist, and I haven't. And this isn't something I've had direct experience with. A lot of it's in the, the the personal. If you start doing this, right. it'll build. But you, you you know, it's not like my um. Well, here my my disaster recovery plan, or my or the stages, aka the stages of grief, mm-hmm. denial, anger, bargaining, <laughs> depression, acceptance. Right. That's my disaster recovery plan for work. Um, mm-hmm. That's also in a, a lot of ways. There are the the four stages of team formation. Right, forming, right. storming, norming, performing. See, I've got all those, and those have been <laughs> hammered into me because a lot of the the training and the things I'm worked around is leadership management, project management, not not the next not not the next level down into the like into the software that you run all those on, <laughs> as it right. were. Right, right, uh, um, not into the mental health space. Um, right. The big piece that I'm thinking of here is when you bring it down into the mental health space and when you're Mm -hmm. talking about adopting a new planning system, Mm -hmm. when you are making change, lots of people look at, oh, if I can't do this all at once or if I can't make this happen, if I can't be uh, reliable about it, this isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. But there are five stages of change. There's Mm -hmm. pre-contemplative. I haven't thought about making any sort of change. And we see this with people who smoke, that sometimes you say, so have you thought about quitting? Don't talk to me about quitting. No, you don't get on your high horse about getting me to quit smoking. Shut the fuck up. I'm not dealing with that and so that's the pre-contemplative stage contemplative is i need to think about it Mm -hmm. it needs to become a thing planning Mm -hmm. stage action and then maintenance right and then between each of these are barriers to change and you and ursula do a great job of talking about her barriers to change and the things that you know make her make her crazy but i listen to the two of you and i listen to her reaction and the fact that i do this stuff with trauma and adverse life experiences is i hear all of the the historical difficulty language that comes up in it and i can't stop thinking about it like a mental health worker <laughs> in this because god damn it i can't shut it off sometimes no 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 that's that's fair it um uh, thinking of that slow decompression you talked about earlier, I mean, I just left a high-pressure job. It's been six weeks, and I'm still decompressing, right? I'm, I'm still, yep. I, I have to, I, I'm still getting out of the mindset of if something fails, then the world is on fire, not if yes. a system goes down, there is, it is not the end of the world, it is not, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, that, that there is time to to contemplate, to fix, to make the right fix, not just everybody run around with your heads, you know, like, like your, right. your head's on fire and your ass is catching, or is it the other way around? I never remember that. Um, <laughs> ass is on fire and head's catching. Anyway, um, that, uh, you Congratulations know, for getting out of the crazy making job into I, the, hopefully something better. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm, I'm hopeful. Like I, I was, I think I was telling you before, uh, earlier that I can get off the high blood pressure medicine that I had to start taking late last year, probably because of the job. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, but there's the, it, it took me, it took me a long time, right? It took me right. a really long time to get through the, well, I could do that, but I, I think I'm okay now. To the, I probably ought to do that, 
to the okay frankly a job offer basically fell into my lap i wasn't yeah, yeah. actively looking or whatever but there was a there was sort of this this mindset of do i take it or not but at that point you know there was that was sort of the moment of getting to that moment of change that actual action stage mm-hmm. i have this job offer do i take it or not yes no right. and making that jump to make the change i mean it took months Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even to get to the point where I was like, "All right, this this maybe sounds a little interesting on LinkedIn. I'll I'll see what this is about." <laughs> Versus the just the reflex. No, no, no. I'm not talking to you. No, no, no. Right. I can put up with this a little longer. I can put up with this a little longer. I don't care that it's destroying my health. You've heard that all before. Yeah. Yeah. Burnout. Yeah, and, burnout's and a so, bitch. <laughs> burnout is a bitch. And yeah. you wanted to do an episode. Did you ever do your episode on burnout? Um, I've. That's uh, when I'm. I'm going to reschedule it and talk to, um, uh, talk to Dylan, who mm-hmm. uh, I worked with at my last job, who mm-hmm. is really. I mean, he's done some fantastic writing on his experience with burnout, and so that's. I, I definitely. I need to go back and do that. I think we're scheduled for September on the one year anniversary. Um, uh, or right around then, um, just m- both right. a follow up and to talk about burnout and how he's changed mm-hmm. in the last year. Um, I bring up this 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 maintenance and this mm-hmm. this whole five stages of change because you talk about them whether you realize you're not you're talking about right, them or not, right. um, and that you talk about that it's okay if you put the planner down and you don't talk, deal with it for a few days and then how do you come back and deal with it mm-hmm. and so there's how do you build the maintenance phase into your mm-hmm. habits because we were just talking you asked me what are my habits what are my right. routines what are these things and they all fall into that stages of change and what you do mm-hmm. and how you do them. So to go back to uh, maybe even to ask your question, all of my (laughs) habits fall down into pieces of my self care, Mm -hmm. and I and I conceive of them that way, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't necessarily think of them as as habits, but as gifts Mm -hmm. for myself. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. So that'll make uh, question five, I think, a little bit uh, probably a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. But all right, so we've got that and we'll get to the rewarding yourself a little bit. But first. Yeah. But first. But first. Um but first. What's the what do you think has been the biggest help or the biggest piece of advice or the best piece of advice you've been given? The best piece of advice mm-hmm. that I've given about what? I need you to define that question a little whether, more now. Whether it's... <laughs> whether... God damn it. I told you, remember what I said about that mind map of mine? Mm-hmm. That thinks of everything all over. No, I need a little, little smaller question there. No, no, it, it's fine. Um, let's, let's start with the, what's the best advice you've been given about uh, maintaining your private practice? Value yourself. Okay. Actually ask for what you are worth. Be willing to say no. Um, mm-hmm. I have a whole system set up for how I deal with when new clients come in, mm-hmm. and I do. It, I'll try. It, it all falls into my my philosophy of being being trauma informed. Is that I mm-hmm. do a twenty minute meet and greet mm-hmm. with everybody where we get to interview each other. Right. No, no responsibility. No money changes mm-hmm. hands. There's no pressure, and it equalizes. Mm-hmm. This is the power dynamic. Um, and I get to decide right then and there whether or not I think this is going to be a good fit or sometimes Mm -hmm. from email I do a screening Mm -hmm. but very much the best advice that I got around anything and everything um, I'm going to steal Mm -hmm. from Alan and he'll tell you this is you never have to accept a job offer but always go on the interview correct Um, and it falls into that Mm -hmm. I never have to accept a client Mm -hmm. I don't have to put myself in that position to actually help everybody same thing 
thing with friendships, um, being able to tell my friends, no, I want to be able to help you. There's that oxygen mask thing. Mm-hmm. No, I need to put my own oxygen mask on first. I can't help you with this right now. Being able to say no respectfully. And it's so hard when you're gendered female, when yeah. you're not allowed to say no to things mm-hmm. and is, raised in that. Is that gendered female or is that socialized female? Socialized female. Socialized uh, female. Yeah, when you when you are identified mm-hmm. as a as a female gender mm-hmm. as a kid, you are socialized in that way. Right. Um, and I see this a lot. Half of my clients identify as trans. Yeah. So I do a lot of talking about how people are socialized and mm-hmm. what sort of things uh, do they get to turn uh, let go of. And this mm-hmm. being able to say no, I think that is one of the biggest things that it, it, mm-hmm. it falls into. Not that you are disappointing somebody else but you are valuing yourself yes and and it's it's uh very true with artists especially mm-hmm. artists who are starting out they have a really hard there time so saying many no of my friends who yeah. are artists mm-hmm. who put less than what they are valued on the cost of their piece the number of people i have to remind that took you 10 hours to do why are you charging 15 dollars for it well no one's going to pay for it. no mm-hmm. no put on it what you are valued what you are worth uh commissions commissions are terrible yeah um because you know commissions they're under a time pressure they're usually especially for the uh the furry cons you know mm-hmm. i want this that and the other with my character my character does this and that and um, you know, and I want full color. Oh, yeah, that'll be sixty bucks. Yeah, and I'll have it for you in the morning. Are you completely undervaluing yourself, or is it going to be a crappy drawing? Right? right. I mean, and I, I know some artists who can draw really fast and do amazing jobs mm-hmm. that are still completely undervaluing what they do. Yes. Right. Yeah, you're going to be up all night. You're going to be dead tomorrow, and you're only going to make, you know, five hundred dollars. Yep. And yeah, no. Mm-mm. And you yeah. knocked, and that was uh, fifty dollars each commission. No. No, 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 no. You're worth more than that. Yes. Right. So value yourself mm-hmm. being able and thinking about saying no as part of that valuing yourself. Yes. Yes. Um, all right. Well, what about the biggest help or advice given to you as a parent? <sighs> I'm sitting here with my tongue sticking out and Kevin's <laughs> laughing at me. Um, God. There has been so much and I've read so many things mm-hmm. and I don't know. Um, okay. So the thing that keeps going through my head that, that mm-hmm. I keep going back to is the fact that research says mm-hmm. that kids who grow up with actual good structure, mm-hmm. uh, reasonable rules, mm-hmm people who say no to them, Mm -hmm. people who set limits, value their parents more when you speak to them as adults than kids who grew up free range or completely no structure or such Mm -hmm. because they often get the feeling that nobody cared because nobody set boundaries for Mm -hmm. them. And I am one of those people that grew up very much with not many boundaries. I was the fourth kid. There's a Mm 15-year age gap between me and the eldest. And by the time I came along, my parents were burnt out. See, that burnout conversation again. Mm -hmm. And as long as I wasn't doing anything where my life was in danger, they just pretty let me do everything, including Mm -hmm. fail. Okay. Um, And I failed uh, in a particular way for three years straight with nobody you just the only question I got was, so are you trying your hardest? Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm trying my best. And as long as I gave the pat answer, mm-hmm. they left me alone. 
They didn't mm-hmm. ask. Nobody made any effort to figure out what was going on. Right. And what was really going on was a really high level of bullying that my parents did not make enough of an effort mm-hmm. to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, if my kid had been going through what I went through, I would have had the police in there arresting right. a couple of the kids for assault. If I had not mm-hmm. gotten the response from the administration the way that we didn't get a response for me. Right. Right. And so I was flunking because mm-hmm. I was miserable. Right. Nobody asked and nobody it felt like nobody cared. Right. And so, so I set healthy Yeah. I set healthy rules and structure. Um and the spouse who is now sitting behind me yeah. is even more good about keeping that because see previous comment about how my mind map works mm-hmm. uh alan is my logic brain and has helped me with a lot of this <laughs> yeah, yeah. and sticking to those rules and remembering that rules are important and i think i think um like okay so in a post-divorce household as it were um mm-hmm. one of the things that we've had to do is kind of maintain or, or sit down uh, uh regularly and discuss where our um yeah yeah what the, the consistency aspect of the rules mm-hmm. Right, because if it's one set of rules at my house and a whole other set of things at their mom's house, and by the way, their mom's a whole heck of a lot stricter than I am, um, right. then you know it's it's a whole other, uh, you know, there's a whole other set of problems. Yes. Um, of course, that also means now that I'm, you know, now that they're they're reaching the age of of you know approaching the ages of majority, I'm like so. Don't you want to like test some limits or, or do some do some exploring of, of boundaries here and that, that? So I'm kind of getting the opposite. Like, come on, you, you can test ba- boundaries. You don't have to just stay within the lines, right? So. <laughs> and then there's the challenge for you now is mm-hmm. how do you start treating them more like adults? How do you shift that relationship to not think of them as much as kids? Mm-hmm. And to think of them more as as the autonomous people that they are growing into being. Yes, um, it's a lot easier with my nineteen year old since he doesn't live here. And if you'll excuse me, that's Ernie, and he's going to keep doing that until we uh, in, until I, I either let him let out him or out. feed him or possibly both. So we got to take a minute. Let me do that so he doesn't basically Explore. yeah scream. He's Fine. a screamer. Oh my god! Uh, what about the best relationship advice? That that one was always. Um, that one was always interesting. My grandmother, uh, before I got married, um, my grandmother, um, my grandmother's advice was never go to bed angry with each other. Um, uh, and that's opposite us because Alan has a thing that after midnight or midnight 30, mm-hmm. you are too overtired and emotional and no productive conversation is going to happen in that state. Um, and... I've had to cope because you can't force somebody to have a conversation when they're not willing to have conversations. Yes. So we've yes. had to, you know, develop systems that work with each other. Mm-hmm. So this is something I'm out about. Um, mm-hmm. Alan and I are poly. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different, you know, when it comes to best relationship advice, it changes. I think about my life mm-hmm. um, and we're looking at that organizational system, um, <laughs> you know, as, yeah. as, um, it's a, it's a hierarchical thing, and that I have six primary relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one is me. Mm-hmm. Then there's my spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids and dog take up two spaces. Minimum. I have my private practice, yeah. and I have my friendships. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think 
uh, the, the, the relationship advice. There's so much. I do, uh, I'm often on a panel for Aresia mm-hmm. on Relationships 101. And we talk about a lot of relationship advice and mm-hmm. a lot of round things. And I don't know that I can pull any one particular. I'm going to pull on the on the other half of the brain. <laughs> Do we have relationships advice that uh, you can think of? Uh, context. Kevin's just asking me, you know, best advice that you've gotten in life, and here's one about best, you know, best relationship advice. What's one of the things that we do? Yeah, or that we that we use. I don't know. Um, we. Also, her friend is that relationships are. You, know, you put in the work that the relationship deserves. Right. It's a question yep. of relationships have value. Relationships of value. You put in the you work that the relationship deserves. Mm-hmm. You don't. So yes. So our vows were all about commitment. Mm-hmm. And we did not like promise until the stars grow cold, or you know, coming from my favorite, my favorite uh, musical, right. or my, now my almost my second favorite musical. But we promised to make our relationship, our love, an ongoing choice, and that being mm-hmm. in a relationship is a choice. And if you don't continue to choose to be in the relationship and to do the work, mm-hmm. then the relationship isn't going to, to continue. Relationships are hard work. There is no coasting. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and as. And I think that's the best. Oh, actually, I think the best advice that I got from this one was that um, speed bumps happen. You are not always going to like the person you love. Yes. And there may be time. So so understanding that that that's going to come and go. You're not always going to be head over heels in love. It's not always going to be that way. And how are you going to make a long-term relationship happen Mm -hmm. if every time you hit a speed bump, every time you stop liking the other person that you love because they've done something shitty or you're pissed off or whatever it is, you you know, and you're ready Mm -hmm. to call it quits, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. And I will admit to having looked at my oldest child at least once and gone, look, I will always love you because I'm your father and I'm your dad, but I don't like you very much right now. And yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So that's a, oh, you're asking hard, about parenting things. Oh my well, god, that too. Yeah, I mean, and that's Holy a hard god. one to wrap your hand, head around about is when you have to realize that you love your kid, but you don't particularly like them. At the, and you don't at like that what they're doing. Time. You don't yeah, like yeah. the choices they're making. Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's that's that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that replies to not just romantic, I mean, friendships and the rest of it. It all, mm-hmm. all applies through there, yeah. Yeah, uh, we are looking, so it's, it's got to be working to some degree because mm-hmm. we are looking at uh, 23 years now. Uh, no, Ursula and I have been together for 10 now, so yeah. Yep, yeah. Have we've to be doing, doing something right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. We've, this is yeah, 23 years that we've been doing this crazy thing that we mm-hmm. do. Um, we were we were uh, working with a, uh, a parenting coach a little bit around a couple of things, and he mm-hmm. keep, kept asking us, "So how are you? Are you making time for each other? How are you?" Oh, we're fine. You know, we're waiting for the kids to. You know, once the kids are moved out, we have lots of time together. We as a couple are mm-hmm. are are great. And so that's the other piece of parent parenting mm-hmm. advice and relationship advice is maintaining your relationship in the face of having kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a priority. Mm-hmm. Because I so, know I know many people who are just like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be spending time with my spouse, but baby, 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 child, child, child. Yes, they, yes. They, oh, the baby, you sucked right. for that. Right. But it's not just that. It's that they dedicate themselves to they are now a parent and that is their primary function. They're not 
they're they're not a person anymore. They are the caretaker of a child, and that is all they are anymore. I wonder if that that didn't happen as much. Uh, I mean, there was some level of that, but mm-hmm. there's also the when you're dealing used to dealing with multiple relationships mm-hmm. and the cognition around poly and multiple relationships that there's these multiple primaries. Yeah, my kids are, are a primary level relationship, but my spouse mm-hmm. is also a primary mm-hmm. level relationship. And so I'm not, not just a parent. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when I had problems with that, when I was the feeding system for a child. Yeah. And that's a very hard thing to, mm-hmm. I can't pass that off to somebody else. Or I, I heard it phrased as people, um, people worship their children. They they become the high priestess or whatever, and you know they're taking care of their every whim, and they're making sure they they are fed, and and they're you know there is no other relationship more important than their relationship with their child. Now, admittedly, this was coming from a Christian doctrinal standpoint, right. where you know the more important relationship is supposed to be with the Almighty. He says, waving his hands in the air. But the end, you know, but but it shows sort of that unhealthy side of. What can happen in a, in a parenting relationship where you you have no function other than to be a caretaker for your child? Right, and, but it yeah. is also, and this comes out of my my therapy work. Mm-hmm. It is important for the parent to always hold the bigger picture. Abs- yes, you have to hold the context, not just for mm-hmm. what is going on in the moment and what the kid needs at the moment, mm-hmm. but what that means in the larger picture of the development. Of the individual, the growth and the development and all of that, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So, and I could spend another half hour on a tear just about I that. I know, I know. But let's know. talk about something fun. Let's talk about something. Fun. I like what do you want to fun. Talk about? Yeah. Uh, how do you reward yourself when something goes exceptionally right? Or you um, hit the big win? I do the geek you... victory dance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Snoopy happy dance. Mm-hmm. Um. um you know, there's it's, there's an image in my head, and I use this for for icons. Is I have the the Snoopy happy dance mm-hmm. that I do. That when something goes exceptionally right, it's like you know I, I make sure to hold on to. And this comes out of mindfulness and comes out of mindfulness practice that you have to appreciate the positives when they happen and allow them to accumulate. They're not ephemeral. They don't just have happy and then fade. How do you hold on to them? Right. How do you allow them to to inform your system? We do so much where we remember all of the negatives we've done. Mm-hmm. And we hold on to those, oh, yeah. those accumulate. Yeah. So why not hold on to these positives? Why not hold on to these? Oh, believe me, that's part of the reason I'm I'm uh, a big fan of Zoloft, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the that's the thing that takes that 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 the shame spiral of man. When I was 14, I really made an ass of myself, and now I can't stop thinking about it. I'm 47 years old. Why can't I stop thinking about it? You because know. you haven't had EMDR yet, and we'll, I can talk about to you that later. There will be <laughs> things that will fix right, that. Right, right, right. Or. <laughs> Or on the flip side, I can, you know, uh, the Zoloft sits there and goes, dude, no. Just short yeah. circuit, let's fix that chemical connection, yeah. let's go on from there. Yeah. Uh, I, so I'm really fond of that, right? Um, I, I may... I'm i a huge proponent of the balance between medication and therapy and learning the tools, but there's definitely a place where the chemical ba- imbalances happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are times where my hormone system goes off and right. everything is black, everything is death, everything mm-hmm. is horrible. No, uh, I, it, it's an Eeyore moment. You know, everybody hates me, nobody loves me. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's going to die in a fire, it's going to be horrible. I'm just, I'm hard. Yeah, and, and I've learned to recognize when those happen and why mm-hmm. them out. 
So, um, so I, I happy dance in my yeah. head and I when tell my win, friends, yes. I have, I have an amazingly robust, uh, robust, that's mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for, uh, friend circle. And I'm hugely grateful for them. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I happen to have, uh, three or four best friends of people mm-hmm. that I can do. And we have a group chat. that we keep us Mm -hmm. and we use that group chat for good things for bad things for venting Mm -hmm. for organizing for schmoozing whatever and when Mm -hmm. something goes remarkably well i go and i tell them and there's a feedback loop Mm -hmm. of yay go you and we uh, help each other validate and and, uh, celebrate Mm -hmm. all of these things um i also started there's small things that i do um, when I'm working, when I was working in a clinic, mm-hmm. I did not get to graduate very many clients. Oh yeah, because they are people with much more complex, mm-hmm. difficult things and more more challenges. And I didn't get to graduate very many of them. And some of them just drop out. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the two years in each clinic, I was lucky if I graduated four or five clients. Oh, that's hard, and that's hard. In my first year working two years working for myself mm-hmm. i graduated uh 10 or 15 clients wow. in that time i've watched people because mm-hmm. i can do this on my own and it is mm-hmm. not just that i am selecting people that are healthier mm-hmm. some of it is a little bit of that but mm-hmm. there's also the fact that i get to i know more now mm-hmm. than i did then i have more tools at my my disposal mm-hmm. Um, boundaries, just like you do with kids. Mm-hmm. I get to hold my clients more accountable than I could in the clinic. Right. If my client mm-hmm. no shows on me, they get charged for it, depending upon what insurance they have. Mm-hmm. But they get charged for it, and then they're going to be there. Right. And if they are there, then they can do more work. And as a side effect, also in private practice versus public clinic or whatever, you aren't beholden to a spe- specific schedule mandated by the government as to what you have to do when? Somewhat. Somewhat. There mm-hmm. is still the, you know, we're supposed to be doing things and we still have to medical necessity, blah, blah, and blah, blah, yeah. prove that in insurances. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, all of my billing mm-hmm. pretty much is, is through insurances. But it's not that I'm, I'm beholden to them. It is the environment's healthier. Mm-hmm. Clinics are not necessarily healthy no. environments in, in the way that they have to run mm-hmm. um, in order to be profitable. And mm-hmm. and the people just need – and there's it's such a higher level of need. And, yeah, it could be mm-hmm. in part that I'm taking people that are not as, as unwell, but I have a mm-hmm. few that yeah. are. And even then, I'm using a new, a new set of treatment system that I've learned mm-hmm. from uh, – for something uh, mm-hmm. details not important right. but i'm using it and i'm watching clients that i've had for years make progress that they had not made in years since i started implementing this right and part of being working for myself is i get to choose what trainings i go to mm-hmm. it's not you you don't have to have a you you have to, it's not you in order to work this in the clinic you have to have this one this one this one and if you want to take that one that's great but it doesn't count some degree. Yeah. Or we have a 140-person waiting list. You can't yes. make there be an hour and a half for certain clients. Mm. Very true. You have more you room can't. around, around uh, scheduling. Yeah. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So, But that's one of the things. So, so when I graduate a client on that lovely spreadsheet that I keep, mm-hmm. I color code 
for those that yeah. I've I've graduated. So periodically, I can go back and look at my spreadsheet and go, cool. <laughs> Yay! Look, look at yeah. all the success I've had. Oh, look at all the success that people mm-hmm. have made. And that's one of the mm-hmm. other things is that it's not. I try very hard that they other people get to own their successes. And okay. yes, I've been able to help them there. Mm-hmm. I look at this. I, I get to be a coach. Yes. And, and so a skill set I'm working facilitate. on. Yeah. <laughs> I've been able to facilitate people getting better. What mm-hmm. people getting better? My job, my spiel when I first sit down with people mm-hmm. is my job is not to keep you here. I want everybody to get better so that I can drive myself completely out of business and go sit on a beach somewhere. I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. I want everybody to be happy. And it's not my, you know, I don't. That that feeds into that. One of the one of the biggest uh, mental adjustments I've had to make as a in leadership roles or in uh, project manager roles or scrum master roles or whatever, what have you, is that idea that my success is only, only if you're, if the people who are working for me or with me are successful, right? It's really, I, I will not be a successful product manager slash leader slash whatever. If the people who I'm, guiding through or coaching or, or driving towards this goal, as it were, if they're not successful, I'm not successful. If they, if something goes sideways and it was preventable, then that's really on much more on me than on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I'm the one who's supposed to be watching out for those things. They've got work to do and they've got a job to do. And yes, they should be informing me of things. I'm the one who's supposed to be adjusting and whatever. And if, You've got the bigger picture. I've got the bigger picture. So if the team succeeds, then I'm successful. If mm-hmm. the team doesn't meet that goal, it's not necessarily the team's fault. It's my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, that whole idea of also servant leadership, where you're the one in there making sure that they have what they need, that these obstacles are being cleared, that maybe you're in there doing the work right alongside with them. That's a really hard thing to grasp. Yeah. When you're first starting out and you're you're doing the you're you're doing that and it's I guess the reason I'm saying all of this is that I can see where if your patients are successful and become cured or better then it is you are successful. Yes. Right? Right. So now for the bad question. Okay. Other side of the coin. Uh failure happens. Failure happens to everyone. I'm a big fan of Howard Taylor's Maxim 70. Um, mm-hmm. the, it is not a question of if you fail, but when, right. or, or no, failure is not an option. It is mandatory. The question is, what do you do after you fail? So how do you handle what we'll call failure or a miss or something like that? If it is in an interpersonal situation, if it mm-hmm. is a person I have failed, if I have, you know, something in there, there's that very large piece of the brain that says I'm a fuck up. Yep. And I've heard another person, I can't do this, everybody hates me, it feeds into that particular thing. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Project failure? You know, planning failure? It gets pushed off. I very much had to, with being a parent, had to internalize the understanding that sometimes you can only do one thing a day. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Right after having a baby. And sometimes that one thing a day is coming down the stairs. Sometimes mm-hmm. that one thing a day mm-hmm. that you are doing is you get to take a shower, yes. you know, one thing a day. And so I got very comfortable with having things pushed off on mm-hmm. um, on my to-do list. And I'm okay mm-hmm. with getting them done eventually. 
it's when I disappoint somebody else that's the hardest. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I screw up with clients, if I double yeah. book clients, oh my God, I hate double booking clients accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I fall back on the fa- uh, on something that I learned early, which is to always seek out uh, constructive criticism. And when I fail, Mm -hmm. I try to find where is the constructive piece of criticism that I can take from that. What is the thing that I can learn from it to be able to do things differently? So I am one of the trainings I took, one of the leadership things I've taken. I am a Boy Scouts uh, wood badge for the 21st century trained certified. I have my beads, all that stuff. I just heard you talking about that at the start of episode seven a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is the most intense leadership training I've taken in my life. And it was mm-hmm. so much more professional training than we're going to go out in the woods and learn how to do that. Cause by the time you get there, you don't need that anymore. Um, oh. But one of the things that was hammered into us is that feedback is a gift, right? Whether it's positive. Maybe that's the best advice. Yeah. You know, that's always, mm-hmm. always see constructive feedback. Yeah. feedback. Yeah. Always. Feedback is a gift, whether it's negative, positive, or whatever. That's on you to internalize, but you should always take that feedback that's coming at you as a gift. Uh, constructive criticism, as far as I'm concerned, is is just another feedback on, okay, how do I, you know, where break it down, where did I mess up? Yeah. You know, how can I not do it again? Yep, and I always look for that constructive mm-hmm. feedback piece of things, mm-hmm. and that has really helped. And, and there's, you know, uh, sitting down uh, and hearing... I talk mm-hmm. to my uh, I talk to my clients at the very beginning about mm-hmm. the fact that it's not if I am going to fuck up, it is when. <laughs> yes, I am going to make mistakes. I'm mm-hmm. going to wind up on the wrong path. I am going mm-hmm. to, um, you know, do something wrong. Call me on it. Yeah. Because if I'm not on the right page, then mm-hmm. I'm not helping you any. And the fact that I, mm-hmm. I take a look at my mistakes along that way, that I want to know when I've screwed up, so that I can I can make things better. It makes it better. The hard part is when the the failures come at the same time as the hormones when the sky is black and the universe is black. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I had an experience giving a training uh, last weekend at an event I was at, and I was talking about how to take harassment reports. Ooh, that's hard. It is hard, and I made a mistake, or I off made an off-the-cuff th- remark in response to someone else's question that was not quite correct, and I got called on it. And mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things I've learned in the last couple of years, especially around the, watching, watching how people and events deal with harassment, is mm-hmm. how to apologize correctly and how to fix it. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apologies are not to get you out of trouble. No. No. A- apologies. apologies. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, apologies are there to communicate that you hear and understand their concerns and will make it and will not do that again or or something along those lines. It's not a, yes. it's not to make the other person feel better. It's to make you better, period. Right. It's right. to make, and it's mm-hmm. to make the other person feel heard. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing was after the talk, the person who called me out, like we were both apologizing to each other, uh, you know, they're going, Hey, I'm really sorry. I used this, that language. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I made that mistake. It, you were absolutely right to call me out and use of language, whatever. I don't care. Right. It was, it, it was funny in that 
when all was said and done, both of us were better off for it. And I don't mean funny, ha-ha, funny, like... I mean, there was a little of that. There was right. some humor in the situation. But it was much more that both of us came out knowing that our message was communicated to each mm-hmm. other and that a positive outcome or, or, or would move forward, not, <clears throat> not the anti-apologies we see so often in these situations. What if, you know, uh, I was on a panel at Aresia, and I do mm-hmm. mental health panels for Aresia, and I, there's mm-hmm. a, a nurse on it who I was just looking for her name, and I can't find it. And she said, what if we looked at when people called us out on things as mm-hmm. reasons to look at them and say thank you, not reasons to get defensive, right. not reasons to get, you know, what if we said thank you mm-hmm. for being called out on stuff? We would mm-hmm. wind up in so many different conversations. We'd have, things would be very different. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the side effect being, of course, that uh, there's a whole swath of people who are just like, no, let's not do that. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would yep. we do that? Yeah. yeah. Why, why do I have to change? You know, if I thank somebody for correcting me on things, that means I must be wrong. And That's um, just not, no, I can't be wrong. Why would I be wrong? <laughs> working on this concept with people that it's better to be right than kind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that philosophy that people that people live in a lot of the stuff we're you know dealing with and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff my clients come in with mm-hmm. is interacting with people where what they really want to do is to teach them compassion. And how do you teach compassion? And as a therapist, I have to teach compassion. Right. And it's hard because we where I started is how do you have compassion for yourself? Because mm-hmm. if you can't have compassion for yourself, and I think that's where we run into it is there's a lot of our push, push, push society that teaches people not to have compassion for ourselves. And as an extension of that, we can't have compassion for others because that takes away from the competition. Right. And it is important. And that is why we have to be right all the time, because if we're wrong at any point, then then we have we have failed and we need to be beaten up. We need to beat yep. ourselves up. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's I don't know if that's is that societal is that. I admit, often it is a, a very specific demographic who seems to have that problem. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, and everybody, okay, for everybody at home who's going, say it, say it, say it, yes, okay, cis, white, straight, males. Thank you. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I am a cis, white, female. Mm-hmm. In this, and I, I completely own my privilege. And when I do yeah. presentations and trainings, that's one of the things that I talk about. Is I always start yeah. with a disclaimer that yeah. you know I'm I'm a, a this person. This is not my lived experience. Mm-hmm. And if I get something wrong, and if you notice me doing something wrong, tell me. I'll fix my goddamn slides right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was literally in the middle of the thing. I was rephrasing things on this. I'm like, hold on, let's fix this right now in front of the crowd fixing the slide that I'm literally presenting at that point in time. I went to one training mm-hmm. where we did that with a presenter who mm-hmm. was using wrong terminology mm-hmm. uh, around trans stuff and was trying to be gender inclusive and used a wrong term. And oh, we, yeah. you know, a couple of us in the audience pointed it out. Mm-hmm. And he said, come over to me during break. Make sure that I change my slide. Yeah. Yeah. So no, and, and that's so... How I do. Okay. That's how I deal with failure is I try to, you know, for mm-hmm. there, there is always the level of, you know, self-flagellation that happens first, but I try to get mm-hmm. to the place of accepting the, the feedback and mm-hmm. um, working past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more people should learn that lesson. I think. That would be nice. So, yeah. Um, that's the sixth question. So the that is next the questions. Yeah. So uh, what else do you want to talk about for the audience or, you know, do you want to start? promoting your stuff 
if you have stuff to promote or where people can find uh, you. <laughs> where people can find me. I am a mental health clinician in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I write under my own name under, uh, uh, what's it, Quora? Quorum? Quora. 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 Okay. Quora. Yeah. yeah. The thing you can ask questions of. Yes. Um, and so I do stuff there, and I, you know, answer questions. Um, uh, science fiction convention, Arisia, Martin Luther King weekend in January, 4,000-plus people. We have uh, guests of honor for this year, and that just got announced. Um, um, Malka Older, Daniel oh. Jose Older. Man, I'm jealous. Uh, I, I love Malka Older. Um, you can come. I might but we'll have to see what the schedule looks like because i'm the host for the private dorsi event next year that happens like at the end of february so that's the end of february this is january i'm a con chair at the end of february i should be oh god yeah. you're a con chair at the end of february you have no life yeah exactly. I understand yeah. This. <laughs> um the, the woman who won the art show last year elizabeth leggett is oh. our mm-hmm. artist guest of honor and we have b joe and john trimble who are really old science fiction. They are actually in conventions, the people who first started masquerading art shows and they organize. Yeah. yeah. And so we get to have them. So we have this, this large variation Mm -hmm. of age and experience for our con this year. And we're really psyched. And Mm -hmm. we have a really good track record. Let's see. Ursula won a Hugo. Uh, Ursula's well, uh, well, Ursula's, one last year, but that was her yep. second Hugo, and on top yep. of that, she already had a Nebula and two Mythopoeics. Right, right. So, so she, yeah. she was she was uh, a mm-hmm. guest of honor. We've had um, mm-hmm. uh, Victoria Schwab, V.E. Schwab, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she just sold her uh, uh, Darkness series, Shade of Darkness. I wish I had the, the book in front of me. Uh, mm-hmm. Potentially as a for television or movie or something like that. And so. Right, right. Really I think well. I, I think I remember hearing something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was just our guest of honor uh, for for author uh, N.K. Jemison. Oh. And we had John Scalzi. Oh yeah. This has been a guest, so we've had some really nice guests, mm-hmm. and we and they're always welcome to come back. It's free, you guys. Yeah, you don't no, have to pay for no. It. It's 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 not a <laughs> it's not a question of 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 money. It's much more a question of scheduling around what exactly. else have we got going on because. Um, hey, you're going to need a vacation right before your con. It would be really nice to take the weekend. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, I also have to figure out if it's the same weekend or if it's the weekend or where it is in relation to the big convention that I work security at early in the year, right. which is MAGFest. Got it. Which is uh, 20,000 people now. Holy cow. Yeah, it's an adventure. We're only working on four. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we can trade stories offline because I don't think yes, the listeners totally. need to. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so what else for the listeners? Um, change in adopting systems doesn't happen overnight. So we talked about mm-hmm. the stages of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, being gentle with yourself about the stuff that you are doing and to find things that work for you. Um, I've been laughing with Alan at Ursula's reactions to the happy planner at the very beginning. Going, oh my God, you sound like Alan. That's hysterical. <laughs> Get this happy horseshit off my pages. Yes. I don't need this. <laughs> so... It's been, you know, mm-hmm. it's been fun like this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, being, being, <sighs> so we spend a lot of time in our, in our mental processes mm-hmm. on, oh, that was the other thing. So that reminded me, um, to look up, for you to look up as uh, procrastination as a factor of dissociation or trauma. 
It's as a defense oh. mechanism. Pardon me, as a defense okay. mechanism. Okay. And that sometimes people, a lot of time, people procrastinate, and they, you could have all the planners in the world, but people still procrastinate because of the. Uh, it's a defense mechanism against potential failure, against being hurt, against all of these things, and so, or it's a factor of people used to living in crisis. Mm-hmm. And so they procrastinate until it becomes a crisis, and then their skills kick in. They know how to function in a crisis, right? And so if they don't, if they're not functioning in a crisis, they don't know how to do things. So they just keep procrastinating, and that's it. So, um, and slowing down and doing things more safely, and mm-hmm. not letting yourself get up into a crisis, often leaves people feeling unsafe. Okay. Because they don't mm-hmm. have the tools and the skills to manage outside mm-hmm. of a crisis. Right. There is no, that's not safe. Slowing down isn't safe. Coming down off of being on guard isn't safe. Mm-hmm. And so people, when you only know how to function on a crisis, and you go from one to the other to the other, and you let these things build up, there's also the how much energy that you have spent in procrastinating, emptying that reservoir of energy that we talked about so that you only have so little to deal with, and that you only get to hit your reserves when it hits crisis. Right, right. Oh, I mean... Cycle. Yeah. Um, thinking about the energy thing, I'm a big uh, fan and proponent of the spoon theory. Yes. Yeah. And yep. I use spoon theory and yeah. I talk to people about spoon theory for people mm-hmm. who don't know the Reader's Digest is that it was, uh, I don't know if you talked about it before. Mm-hmm. We've talked um, about it before, but for those who are new and listening. Um, it was th- developed by a woman who has MS. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sat down at, the, at a lunch with a friend of hers who asked her what it was like to have MS. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who she thought understood what was going on and so in order to describe it she put a whole bunch of spoons in front of her friends and said all right these are all the energy that you have for the day when they are gone Mm -hmm. they are gone and you have no reservoir so that's the difference between being abled and being disabled Mm -hmm. in the disabled category you don't have that reservoir in a crisis to reach down into when you are done you are Mm -hmm. done you are flat that is it you have no extras Mm -hmm. and our society keeps the belief we should be able to always push into reserves yep. that and, there are people who don't have. And we're finding out interesting things like that same theory appears to apply to things like your ability to focus. That, that when you're out of focus, you're out of focus and there's no reservoir that you can push through. Or to that uh, you, only have, you only have so much focus quote unquote so you only have a, an amount of focus and if you spend all day you know if if you're expected at work to be on task and on focus and do eight hours or nine hours of this and then you get off work and you're completely scattered or whatever that's absolutely true because you've burned through it all right? yeah we see that with kids where yeah. they spend all of their energy mm-hmm. holding it together at school they mm-hmm. get home and they're a disorganized mess and they can't do anything which right. is why there are lots of people that are Pardon me, big proponents about not having homework and stuff because yeah. the kids have all their energy holding it together during the day. Right. Um, but that uh, that holds true in professional settings. I, I, I didn't realize it until I was edging up on burnout myself where it's like, yeah, I have to sit through six hours of meetings in a day and I'm not allowed to necessarily goof off or not go to the meeting. And then it's after work and I'm like, and Ursula's like, so what are we having for dinner? And I can't make a choice because my right. brain can't my brain has spent all of its cognitive ability or whatever just forcing myself to pay attention to meetings that, frankly, I didn't need to be at in the first place, it turns out. But that's neither here nor there. 
And for me, it's important, mm-hmm. and it's part of my self-care, because understanding that if I have a full rack of clients, mm-hmm. there is no break for me. I am mm-hmm. never off. I, I don't get to turn it off. Right. I see my client. I do mm-hmm. my note. I see my next client. I do my note. I see mm-hmm. my next client. I do my note. There's no goof-off time in there. And one of the right. things in that self-care mm-hmm. that I've done is, for the most part, I, I make sure to schedule a lunch for myself. Right. But sometimes mm-hmm. I don't get to take that lunch or I have to make a phone call mm-hmm. or it's the only time I can talk to my supervisor or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I ha- make, make my choices and sacrifice things. Yes. But by the time I get home and stuff, it has been, it's hard. And so my, my slow cooker, my Instapot has been my friend because I can just throw things in it and not oh, yeah. have to think about it or other people mm-hmm. have been cooking or it's been it's been nice. New job has been really nice because now if I yeah. need to go out and spend 10, 15 minutes with chickens, I don't feel like I'm stealing time away from something more important because, right. I mean, obviously spending time with my chicken was probably chickens. And the mental health break it gave me was significantly more important than my old job. But my old job didn't see it that way. Of course not. Right. And so, you know, and how are they doing? Yeah, it's sad chickens in the rain today, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, awesome. That's everything. Yes. So I want to thank you, Michelle, very much. You're welcome. So very much. And uh, to the people at home, uh, we'll be right back. I also want to say thank you. Oh, okay. Because um, I've been actually uh, pimping your podcast at <laughs> some of my, my clients mm. who, who don't worry about cursing and things like that. That's good. Because, <laughs> because this is... the you're doing this from a very realistic point of view. You're taking it from a very human point of view, a non-perfectionist point of view. And this is a hard thing for a lot of people. And thank mm-hmm. you for doing this and talking about these hard things. It's, I, it, I, I couldn't think of another way to do it. I couldn't not do it this way, right? To, to yes. not do it this way would be completely fake. And anytime I try to sit down and do it in a, in a serious or, or in, a, in a, a, a disingenuous way, it just didn't, it didn't work. It wouldn't work. So, right. Thank you, know. you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. And we'll try this again. For those of you who are listening, I'll be right back after this short break. And we're back. I really want to thank Michelle for her time. That was such a great conversation, and we had such a great time. Like I said, I want to do it again because I want to cover all the bases that she was like sending me text messages like later. Oh God, I forgot to talk about or you know or a, a, a Twitter conversation we're having on the side, and there's just so much so deep in there. Our code this week, for those who collect our badges, we issue open badges by entering a code on our website. You can read more about that on the website. The code this week, though, for the episode 40 badge is 40. F-O-U-R-T-Y. Oh, we're spelling it the the British way. 
Well, what would you prefer I spell it as? F-O-R-T-Y? Put an extra U's in there. Alright, well... No, for, 40 is spelled F-O-R-T-Y. This is why I normally have a spell checker. Um, Alright, F-O-R-T-Y. Spell it correctly, folks, because I'm a doofus. It's all right. I was mm. just—I—I I was trying to go with the British thing to save face. No, I'm—I'm I'm terrible <laughs> at spelling. One of the first things we got when we got a computer was like a PC because they didn't really have it for the machine, the TRS-80. But one of the first things we got for a PC was a word processor with a spell checker, and my grades improved drastically <laughs> because it was no longer handwritten with spelling errors all the time. The um. Uh, the found, co-founder of the company, my CTO, the guy I work for, he needed one so badly, he learned to program so he could write a word processor with spell checking, because <laughs> I believe he's uh, slightly dyslexic. Uh, yes, And yes. for anyone who's even slightly dyslexic, the invention of, of spell checking word processors has just been a miracle in the last 30, 40 years. Definitely. Anyway, so, I mean... 40. 40. Spelled properly. Yes. Is the code for this week. I hear life begins at 40. I think it began around 35, 36 myself. I was 37 when we met, so... Aww. Yeah. All right, so there's that. You can support us at ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash ksunny. You can buy me a coffee. Please buy me coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee throughout the course of the day, and free coffee is, like, one of my favorite things in the world. Absolutely. You can support our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Ursula V. That supports not just this podcast, but Ursula's self-published books. It supports uh, the other podcasts we do, The Hidden Almanac and uh, Kevin and Ursula Eat Cheap, both of which you can listen to. Although, please remember, use headphones with Kevin and Arsley Cheap. <laughs> or be in the car alone, or being, with another adult. Yes, do but, not let your children listen. And that adult probably, we say get a parent, but it's not necessarily something you want to spring on your, you know, elderly mom. Guess what you get to listen to hardcore. this week. Yeah. Many of us probably have hardcore elderly moms. I'm sure. So, that is that. You can check out back episodes of this podcast at www.productivityalchemy.com. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow Ursula on Twitter at Ursula V. It's not always productivity, but there you go. Uh, no, actually, sometimes it's the opposite of productivity, and there's swearing. And there is swearing. Lots of swearing. And uh, you can track the saga of our friend trying to persuade me to keep goats. Yes. No goats. No goats. Nope. <laughs> so... And that's it from myself and my wombat test subject this week. Woo. So everybody go out there and be productive. <laughs>